Ultvidaberg is a small town in southern Sweden, a couple hours drive from Stockholm. The roads are dotted with little barn houses painted bright red. Blue and yellow ribbons, the colors of the Swedish flag, hang from flagpoles and twist in the wind. And just outside the town center, there's a lake. I'm walking there on a Thursday afternoon, just before 1 p.m. It's hot outside, literally not a cloud in the sky. Some kids are doing cannonballs off the end of a dock. An old lady and her grandchild are eating ice cream on a bench. I sit down on a patch of grass and check my watch. The clock is getting ready to strike one. And that's when, suddenly, I'm Sarah Wyman, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, we're visiting what is said to be the world's only functioning sun cannon. It's a cannon fired by the sun, once a day, every day. We'll see it in person and learn how it works. Right after this. time I took a road trip. How many national parks could I hit in two weeks? What about hotels? Wait, hey Erica, how much am I spending on travel? When your questions about life turn into questions about money, there's Erica, the virtual financial assistant to help you spend, save, and plan smarter. Only from Bank of America. What would you like the power to do? Erica is only available in the English language. You must download the latest version of the mobile banking app, only available on select mobile devices. Your chat may be recorded and monitored for quality assurance. Message and data rates and additional terms may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites— along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Sun cannons have been around since the 1600s. Some of them were used on ships— The position of the sun triggered them to fire at almost exactly 12 p.m., so everyone on board would know what time it was. In the 1700s, you might also have heard a sun cannon in a fancy park in England or France, or even on a large estate, where they were used to signal lunchtime. In fact, when sun cannons were in style throughout the 17 and 1800s, most of them were owned by European nobility. And that is how a sun cannon ended up in a small town in rural Sweden. The sun cannon in Ultvidabari has its own tower. It's up on top of a hill, and it looks like a 15-foot-tall version of a rook, that chess piece that looks like a little castle. It's round, made out of brick, and there's a long, narrow slot carved into the south-facing side. It's been here since 1853, 
and it was built by the local baron and his family, the Aldelsfads. These days, it's cared for by a team of volunteers who call themselves the Sun Cannon Club. They're a delightful gang of retired people who've taken responsibility for preserving the town's history. But the whole organization is totally unpretentious, and they're a little loosey-goosey when it comes to the foggy lore surrounding the Sun Cannon. But at least three different people, including my grandmother, told me this story. Back in the mid-1800s, the Baron and his wife took a trip to Paris. Supposedly, the Baroness, who was born a commoner, was terrified of boats. So instead of making the relatively short trip across the Baltic to mainland Europe, they'd spent somewhere between two and three years traveling to France in a horse and carriage via Finland, Latvia, Lithuania, Poland, you get the idea. I was able to verify almost none of this story, but I'm told somewhere between one and two kids were born on the way from Sweden to France. And when the family finally made it there and saw this sun cannon in a garden, they thought, hmm, would be kind of fun to have one of those to fire off at parties back at home. I should say, the Aldensvads were apparently very into cannons in general, not just sun cannons. When they finally made it back to Wotvidabari, they installed like 20 standard cannons around the park and on an island in the lake. And of course, they built their very own sun cannon tower. Its primary function seems to have been entertainment. Local guides don't think it was loaded with gunpowder every day, but they probably fired it off on special occasions as a salute. At some point between the late 1800s and early 1900s, the sun cannon fell out of use. But in 1986, a group of locals thought it could help boost tourism in Wotvidabari. So they formed the Sun Cannon Club. They raised money to fix up the old tower. And in the years since, the Sun Cannon has become somewhat of a tourist attraction. More than 40,000 people have visited in the last 12 years, which is a big deal for a town where only 7,000 people live. One guide told me that the daughter of an American president once came and watched them fire it. Though when I asked which president, nobody could remember. On the random Friday I came to watch the Sun Cannon salute, there were about 10 people there. The volunteer in charge of firing the cannon was Jan Yarkevich. <laughs> and his grandson, 10-year-old cannoneer in training, Frank. <laughs> the two of them are standing on the steps leading up to the cannon tower, in front of a small group of tourists. Frank is wearing his grandpa's jacket. The words Solkanonklubben, or the Sun Cannon Club, are printed across the front. The jacket hits just below his knees. His grandpa Jan is quizzing him on Sun Cannon facts. He says the cannon weighs 200 kilograms, or around 440 pounds. It's not loaded, but it could hold a six-pound cannonball. <laughs> Jan checks the time. It's 12.50, 10 minutes till go time. Frank helps him slide the cannon out of the tower, so the barrel is pointing out of an opening in the brick. They load gunpowder out of an old ketchup bottle and into the cannon. One of the tourists, a little Norwegian girl, covers her ears and starts to run away. 
Her mom says, don't worry, he'll tell us before he shoots. It's 12.52. There's time for Jan to explain how the cannon works. Jan lets us peek inside the tower. The sun is shining in through a long, narrow opening in the wall. At 1 p.m., when it reaches its highest point in the sky, the sun will line up perfectly with this opening. In the winter, it comes in through the lower part of the window. In the summer, near the top. Jan demonstrates how the opening directs the light towards a magnifying glass. It's the cannoneer's job to adjust the angle of the magnifying glass every couple of weeks, so the light from the sun is directed precisely at the butt of the cannon. If everything is lined up perfectly, the light focuses on the charge of gunpowder at 1 p.m. The heat ignites the gunpowder, and... Ah, the cannon is supposed to fire. Jan says it's hard to get the angle exactly right. Sometimes the cannon fires a couple of minutes early or a little bit late. But today, he has a different problem. It's cloudy. The sun will not be firing the cannon today. But fortunately, Jan came prepared with a plan B. Instead of sun, he'll use fire. He hands a lighter to Frank and says, I was thinking you could do the honors. I know how good you are at lighting things on fire. He says to the tourists, that's pretty much all the two of us have in common. Frank looks a little nervous. He puts on a pair of noise-canceling headphones that seem too big for his head. Jan sends him into the tower to check the time. Frank says, it's, uh, still not one. 12.55. A whole five minutes to go. Jan says after Frank lights the fuse, he'll have a little over two seconds to sprint out of the tower and down the steps. Again, there's no cannonball in the cannon, but it's still going to be loud. Frank says, should I light it now? Look at the clock. Jan cracks a couple of jokes to pass the time. Frank does a few practice leaps from the top of the stairs to the ground. The rest of us are standing about 10 feet away. The little Norwegian girl is hiding behind her mom's legs. 12.59. Jan adjusts Frank's headphones and sends him into the tower. We all cover our ears. Frank clicks the lighter. The little Norwegian girl and Frank are both delighted. Frank, who is clearly relieved, says, it took way more than two seconds after I lit the fuse. His grandfather leads us in a round of applause. I ask him, 
One day when you retire, are you going to become a sun cannoneer too? It's kind of a corny question to ask a 10-year-old. But he pauses before answering. He takes it seriously. No, oh, can't you for this? Yeah, actually, I might. The sun cannon is fired at 1 p.m. every day between May 1st and August 31st. Show up at least 15 minutes early to get a lowdown on the cannon from a local guide. Huge thanks this week to Jan and Frank, as well as Sun Cannon Club members Gunilla Enander and Bengt Schinstrand. After the salute, they took me for a ride on Musikbåten, a refurbished paddlewheel boat that a local orchestra used to play concerts on. And Bengt even showed me what he claims is the world's smallest lighthouse. It is definitely worth a visit. Frank? This podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. Our production team includes Dylan Therese, Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Manolo Morales, Chilenya Onike, Maddie Weinberg, Camille Mojica, Tracy Samuelson, John Delore, Peter Clowney. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was sound designed by Chris Naka and mixed by Luce Fleming. From a small red house in Olpidabari, Sweden, I'm Sarah Wyman. <laughs> Witness Docs from Stitcher.